Hello, and welcome to the Retail Rundown podcast. I'm your host, Julia Raymond Hare. And today we have some great guests on with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the in-store experience. And as the retail industry wrestles with the supply chain issues, labor constraints, and changing shopper priorities, retailers are focusing on areas they can control to hopefully future-proof their business. And today we're hearing from two experts on how the right store design, retail tech, and team culture are essential to turning store experiences into a competitive advantage. Joining us today, the wonderful Andrew Smith and Ken Cooperstein. A little background before we introduce them. Andrew Smith, he is a top retail influencer, number one. He co-authored Retail Innovation Reframed, and he's currently co-founder and managing partner for the Americas of Think Uncommon. That's a global retail innovation advisory and action firm that helps retailers, and he's spent over a decade in senior retail roles from technology to productivity, strategy, customer experience, and was the head of retail operations for Australia's largest telco, Telstra. On to Ken. Ken leads One Door's marketing efforts, evangelizing its store-centric and collaborative approach to retail merchandising, which is so top of mind right now, and driving demand for its merchandising cloud platform. He's a strong believer in brand storytelling, part of the reason he's on the pod today, and he produced the award-winning web series called Off the Shelf, and more recently retired the Paper Planogram campaign. He's no stranger to the world of retail. Ken previously served in marketing roles at some of our favorites, including Adidas Group, Life Fitness, and Hasbro. He holds an MBA from Babson College. Andrew, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. And hey, Julia, it's great to be back. It's great to have you back, and it's great to chat retail as always because it is crazy right now. When we think of in-store experience, we think about storytelling, promotions, store aesthetics, appearance, convenience, fast checkout, floor layout, fulfillment even comes to mind. And there's a lot. So we're here today to talk about why all these things are important and why we could also argue that nothing else matters if the products consumers are seeking are not on the shelf. You lose customers and hand business to a competitor. This is something that I have talked about a lot with retail influencers and retailers this holiday season because of the supply chain issues. And given those challenges, along with labor shortages and the return to stores, I wanted to pass this to Andrew first. Can you tell our listeners more about the modern relationship between the shelf and the store experience? Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Like it was just you had to take a breath in the middle there with all the different things that are There's disrupting so many retail things. right now, right? <laughs> it's a really interesting space to think about because it's going to be different for every retail brand. So everyone's story and context is different. Shoppers, generally speaking, they're on missions. They'll have a mission which is you know generated by their context. If you have someone who's keen on the new Apple iPhone goes into an Apple store and it's not on the shelf, it actually generates hype and it increases demand. But if I'm a busy parent on the way to pick up my kids from school and you know they're getting hangry and need that chalk banana muffin from the supermarket before you know they crack it after a busy day at kindergarten, then that's a really different experience, right? That is not generating hype and demand. That is genuinely disappointing experience. There is, you know, as you said in your intro, so much going on in the world that we do get sometimes enthralled by the trend. Mm. We get enthralled by what the latest headline was or the latest you know, article from you guys that says, this is really interesting. And look at these stores that are doing this. And all of a sudden my to-do list as a you know CEO of a retailer becomes as long as my arm. <laughs> but there was an old leader of mine um, used to run a very large Marks and Spencer in London. And he always had this saying that he kept to the day that he was teaching us in telco retail that I've now carried on in the work that I do now is never forget your apples. 
It doesn't matter how exciting everything else is. doesn't matter how great this new product you know, launches. If you screw up the apples, people will leave you. And it's just incredibly important that we still, in this incredibly disrupted world, just don't forget the fact that retailers are really, really good at executing retail. And we have to maintain that throughout all of this disruption. And we look at some of the big brands that are potentially struggling, and I'm sure all of us have a name on the tip of our tongue. They are often forgetting just the basics of retail when they're trying to do these big fancy things. You need to be able to kind of walk and chew gum at the same time, I suppose. As you mentioned at the start, the shelf becomes just such an incredibly important part of that. Yeah, I want to be able to browse online, see what's in stock, get to store. I want to pick up curbside. I want to have a virtual reality experience. I want to go down a dark tunnel through a secret doorway into some cool fancy thing and Instagram the bejeebas out of it. But, you know, I also want to make, make sure my apples are there and they're green and or red, depending on which apple variety you like, I suppose. Yeah, nothing like the Granny Smith. That's a good visualization to keep in mind if you think about the apples and just going back to basics. And like you said, you have to maintain the excellence in execution. And sometimes it sounds like your point is that it's easy to get distracted while you're trying to innovate at the same time. Definitely. And it's often because when we do innovate, we focus on the what of what, like, what is it that we're trying to innovate? Let's buy, go buy 10 things at once and try and implement them all at once. And we don't think about it the same way we think about our traditional operation, which is it's a process. We've got to go through design. We've got to make sure it's right. We've got to test it. We've got to build it beautifully. Then we've got to embed it and trust our frontline teams with it, train them, give them all of the tools they need to be successful with whatever this new innovation thing is. It's a process, just like any other that we execute in, in a retail business. And we usually are brilliant at it but we just get flustered, particularly with the amount of change that's going now. And it just it just introduces friction into the system. And that's when we forget the apples. Can't forget the apples. And Andrew, you just brought up a really important point, which is thinking about the process and getting that all the way down to training your frontline team, the people that are interacting directly with your customers. And Ken, when we think about innovation and process and the relationship back to the original question between the shelf and the store experience, What's your view on this? I mean, what are you seeing with your clients right now? You know, I look at the starting point here that we see is with the thousands of overworked store associates who, you know, we as consumers rely upon to set the shelves, launch promotions, and help locate products. And, and those tasks are increasing in volume and in complexity. And the one thing that we're trying to do for our customers is to help them simplify the work for store teams and equipping them with better tools to do their job. And I feel like that should be at the top of the list for ways to engage and retain workers right now in a time where, when there are labor shortages and the work that we're asking store teams to do, it increases every day. And when you ask them to start picking and packing and curbside, now they're coming into their job, not just with a, a set of tasks to do, but it's, there's a lot of unknowns and whatever we can do to help them complete those tasks, especially when it comes to getting the product on the shelf right the first time, it just has an effect that allows for our shoppers, consumers, to just have a better store experience. It goes to what Andrew was saying, which is we come into the store and the shelf is the final stop in the customer's shopper journey. And what happens at the shelf, either the product is there or it's not, that to me is that lasting impression of the store experience. And so it's critical for us to be able to help the stores deliver on that promise of getting the product on the shelf when that promotion starts, when they're doing research and they're excited about the product and they go to the shelf and it's there, that to us is a great experience. And if we can do that by helping the store teams get that job done where 
something that used to take three hours is now taking them 20 minutes. Well, you've made the store associate's job a lot easier. They're a lot happier because of that. And now they're able to move on and do other tasks across the store. Mm -hmm. And Ken, I would say this is a mix of my opinion and the opinions of many experts I've spoken with. But the concept of loyalty, like you said, it's the great experience is when they are excited about a product, they go into the store and it's there for them. And if it's not there, that loyalty will fly out the door because they are headed to the next retailer to get what they're really looking for. We're impatient. And so it's critical to building brand and customer loyalty to have those shelves stocked correctly, beautifully. And we know that this experience extends beyond the customer even to include the store teams, professional shoppers. So Andrew, when we think about all of the different audiences, I guess I could even call them when it comes to the store experience you're delivering, how do you customize it to each audience? I mean, that's a great question because audience is a subjective term, right? So when we design things, we are really, humans are designed to be efficient and create compartmentalization where possible. So we put customers in big clumps. Anyone who's ever heard me talk before has almost certainly heard me go on this rant that, you know, <laughs> using things like age demographics sometimes isn't right. You know, it's it's about behavior and you can, using behavioral demographic kind of breakdowns is much smarter and more effective to create change because you're right. People, you know, we, we treat brands like friends, family, and, and strangers. If I know you deeply well, I'm more likely to forgive you. If I don't know you well, I'm very much less likely to forgive you. And, you know, my context of my situation is just as important in this. Am I rushing to be somewhere, for example? So all of those things are different. But, you know, you've got a world now, people who are designing experiences in a retail space have to think about the most important person, which is the frontline teams, which I'm not, you know, we've kind of ignored them for a couple of decades. And, you know, they're having their time in the sun and they should, and we should be, I know, again, I'm, I know this isn't the topic, so I won't go on this rant, but we should be paying them more, training them more and giving, you know, making this an incredible career and, you know, reward the pride that people who work in retail front lines do have. So they're part one. And if you ever embed anything, even if it is given, you know, um, Ken was just talking about this, you know, the incredible idea of making merchandising a fun, interesting and productive experience as opposed to what it is now, which is a really ugly big spreadsheet that all I do is get punished for if I don't nail it perfectly, even though I don't understand it in the first place. If we provide our store teams with the right tools, they're going to excel. And if they excel and are happy and enjoying the place that they're in, they're going to be doing an incredible job serving these two groups of customers. The customer that is the traditional consumer who's coming in to shop or browse or discover or learn or whatever their mission is. And then they've got these professional shoppers who are coming in who are trying themselves to be productive and efficient and deliver an experience to their end customer. And, you know, it's just, it is generating a really, really interesting environment to nail it, the core is to test, <laughs> is mm. to design and build what you're wanting to achieve and continuously test it in these different audiences and these through these different contexts to make sure that you are actually going to achieve what you, what you set out to achieve. You know, we have a saying which we like to use all the time, which is fall in love with the evidence, not the idea. So I might have a really cool idea and I fall in love with it and then the senior executives fall in love with it and then the CEO's in love with it. Everyone's bought the book, drinking the Kool-Aid, and we push and shove this thing through the chain until it's out, even though we don't know whether it's going to work or not. Slow it down, bring it back and fall in love with the evidence, not the idea. And the evidence is collected from all of those sets of customers. So if you have a more complex environment like we do now in retail with different customers, different, you know, professional, as I was saying, professional shoppers, different humans with different context. The more we test, the more evidence we'll collect and the more evidence we have, the more likely whatever it is that we're going to deliver 
is going to succeed. And I think that because of the past few years with the COVID-19 pandemic, humans or shoppers just have been more open to retailers testing and learning and moving fast. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. We love novelty. We love fun. And we've seen retailers accomplish this through great execution, always easier said than done. But what are some examples of these, of compelling brand experiences that you can share with our listeners? Being a retail nerd, I've kind of collected plenty of stories. (laughs) But I just, I mean, I've got a long list. I really, really enjoy seeing people who are disrupting retail from a business outside of retail because I think they come up with really interesting new ideas. And I you know, was in the Stranger Things store, the Netflix store mm-hmm. in New York a couple of weeks ago. How'd you like it? I managed to get an appointment, which you know, was a fascinating thing, the whole idea that you've got so much demand for your store that you need an appointment engine. It was brilliantly executed because it had a. I didn't know what to expect, whether I was just going to be walking into essentially something that was a brand immersion versus an actual retail store. And it was, it was both. It was both and it was executed really beautifully. I got to walk through the, you know, the lounge room, going to get the cold shiver up the spine from remembering what that scene was like, but then walk into the Ahoy ice cream store and be able to buy the full outfit if I wanted to dress up like an ice cream salesperson from the 80s. It was just, just a really beautiful execution, even down to the mannequins being, I don't know the name, the monster from Stranger Things. I'm clearly not that much of a fanboy, but just little touches like that it was just beautiful retail. It was just a beautifully executed store experience because it drew me into the brand. It immersed me in the Stranger Things culture. I could play video games, arcade games, and then buy myself an I Love New York t-shirt. It was a fascinating experience. I thought it was very, very cool. That's very interesting because I've seen the news stories. Our team at Rethink Retail has obviously shared it in our chats and we're like, wow, we have to go see this when we're there. But did you end up buying anything? I did actually, yes. So the I Love New York t-shirt was, instead of the love, it had the face of the four-mouthed monster. Again, I should have looked up the name before I shared this story. I know. I have a bad memory when it comes to names, so I can't help you there. <laughs> no, no worries. But still, it was it had the, that instead of the heart. So I did buy one of those and I bought a old school memorabilia VHS tape that was a dis- that's actually a dispenser for napkins to put on the kitchen table. Don't oh, ask me cool. why. <laughs> but it was really super cool. It's just, I like retro stuff. There's a whole arcade in there. Like you can go in and play Asteroid and Tetris and all these beautiful old arcade games, just like they do in the show. And it's just stunningly executed. They did a really, really good job. Because it sounds like something you would see in a theme park, but it's not. It's a retail store, which is amazing. That's um, so true. In fact, I used to give my team an ambition, which was every you know, as we're thinking about designing our stores, we should make the tourist guide. If we've made the tourist guide, we've done our job properly. Because that's what retail should be now. Is it something that people come to that city and they want to experience? They want to see it. You know, people go to New York and they want to go to camp. They want to go to the Nike Innovation Hub. They want to go to Showfields. They want to go to FAO Schwartz. Now they want to go to Harry Potter, M&M World. All of those kinds of things make the list in the Lonely Planet. I don't think the Lonely Planet's around anymore. But still, you know what I mean? They make the local tourist guide. If you set yourself that ambition, you'll go far. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Showfields. And I I know we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast about Showfields. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience? Because I know you've worked directly with them. Yeah. In fact, Ken and I were lucky enough to produce a miniseries called Off the Shelf with the Showfields team and in the Showfields New York store. It was new too. It was like a month and a half or so into their opening that we were in the store filling it with cameras and crew. They're just, if you've ever heard the team speak, the founding team speak, which you can if you watch the series, you know, they talk about the idea of disrupting this concept that retail's become boring, that it's become this cookie cutter thing of how do I just become the most efficient operator and consistent in everything that I do. And, you know, we're seeing consumer behavior shift. 
know, we are investing significantly more of our time and money in things that matter to us, the things that we care about, whether it be sustainability, whether it be just through experiences that I want to share, you know, this idea of socializing. There's a bunch of, you know, values. We're kind of shedding the sheep's clothing and finding out what really matters to us. And not only are we sharing that as part of our personality, we're sharing it with, you know, sharing our money with those brands that align with that. And I think Showfields has kind of responded to that very quickly. So has Camp. You know, there's plenty of other examples of it. But I think the one thing that Showfields does really, really well is that they're thinking about how do you make not only the retail experience incredibly immersive and fun, they have slides, they have virtual reality games, they have a whole bunch of experiences, they have music shows, all of that stuff. It's a place to hang out and it draws you in because it's always different. It's constantly moving. But it also just tells brand stories stunningly. Like they help brands that are traditionally DTC, but they work with all brands now, take the product and physically manifest that brand in a space that's both beautiful, interactive, memorable, and very, very shareable. And, you know, the store is the new billboard, right? You know, online is where you make your money. Definitely. And Andrew, you mentioned Camp. So shameless plug here. I interviewed Nikki Kaufman, one of the co-founders of Camp. And that podcast is just a couple months back. So if you're listening, go ahead and listen to what Nikki had to say about her vision for the company. It's super cool. And another toy-based company, Toys R Us, we all used to know and love. I think it's uh, coming back in a big way. It is opening a new retail store soon, 20,000 square feet. They have a big press release about it. They also have a slide like Showfields you mentioned. And Ken, I wanted to pass this to you and ask, do you think, considering the quite turbulent past, that Toys R Us will be successful? I do. And I, and I wish them the most success relaunching their brand from someone who worked at Hasbro. There was just so much joy and what Toys R Us meant to kids and to parents and, and going into that store and just kind of really falling in love. And, and we've seen that, you know, like the Lego store, they certainly have created a, you know, when you talk about a compelling brand experience, but I think Toys R Us has the knowledge now of what it will take to create that store experience in so many different ways and, and using technologies that are available today to really bring, you know, the shopper into the play world be it, you know, Harry Potter or superheroes, there is such a way to bring the shopper into that world uh, that they're looking at and helping them understand, you know, that the joy of playing with a toy is definitely something that they're going to be able to focus on. And, and that's where I'm hoping that we get to see with Toys R Us because that hasn't really been around for a while, that toy store that you can go into. And, and we see that with when you were talking about compelling brand experiences, and I'm going to go back a little bit of, you know, what does a great example look like? And we've talked about this, Julia, the, the store that for me that comes to mind is REI for someone who just loves the outdoors. When those stores reopened, you know, after kind of COVID close downs, there was just so much energy going back into that store and store associates enthusiastically welcoming people back into the store. And I feel like that is an opportunity that retailers have taken advantage of. And when you were talking about, you know, the way that retailers weren't really thinking about store experiences, I feel like all the disruption that we've gone through over the past 20 something months, if anything, what that's helped us realize is that that shoppers really do like going into stores. And we miss that opportunity to be into a store. And I feel like stores are really trying to think about, you know, what does it mean now for us to welcome, 
a shopper into the store because like you said, Andrew, from a convenience standpoint, we can buy everything online. I don't need to go to the store. But geez, it is such a great feeling when you go into a store that you really love and you feel immersed in that brand. And I think Toys R Us will be able to do that for so many people. I agree. And I also believe this might be a little odd of an opinion, but I think these stakes are actually higher. I think people will have bigger expectations for a company that has, you know, they sell something like toys. So you're looking to be entertained from the get-go as compared to maybe like, you know, Nike blew us away with their house of innovation. But I think the expectations might be a little lower for consumers going to buy new athletic wear and sneakers versus, okay, I'm going into a toy shop. This should be almost like a theme park. So let's move beyond bells and whistles a little bit. I want to talk about products. How does merchandising tie into these store experiences? Andrew, I asked you, did you actually end up buying something from that Stranger Things store? And you said yes. And I want to know, like, how do you how do you make that bridge? Because at the end of the day, we're trying to make money. The long bow that we have to draw and trust because there is, I mean, we don't have to trust, to be fair. There's plenty of evidence that tells us this. Experiences in stores, brand, storytelling, and excellent merchandising and curation makes you more money. Everyone feels different shopping at a store that is like clear, that's telling a story, it has product in logical places, and that generally speaking encourages a longer docket. The difference is, you know, that between stores like that and stores that perhaps, you know, don't execute it as well. You know, as retailers, we, as I've said before, we excel at execution, but we always forget the end point. Like we create what the end of the stores look like and, you know, the merchandising elements and we shift it to being like a project of military precision. And then we just email it to thousands of stores across the country and just expect people to kind of understand the marketing context, put it out perfectly, take photos, send it in, blah, blah, blah. And it becomes, you know, it loses energy through that process, especially if we chastise them if they get it wrong. You know, merchandising is retail and everyone needs to be a part of it and understand the story of it. So just as much as you're sending what's going to be on the end cap, tell the story, celebrate the story, kind of share elements of the product energy that is going to help you then sell it. And, you know, what we've seen working with retail brands across the globe is that if you want to create really stunning, immersive, high value experiences, your environment has to reflect that. You can't put a balloon arch at the front of your store and expect people to think that you're high end or that you're going to create an stunning experience. You're going to expect people wanting cupcakes. So you know, a stunning store design can be, you know, on the opposite end of this, of course, ruined by a lack of great merchandising execution. Like if you imagine walking into a Louis Vuitton and you've got like a half-dressed mannequin in the window and like four sweaters crumpled on the entry table, you're probably thinking you're in a Macy's, not in a Louis Vuitton. That's probably a bit rude to Macy's. But oh, you're certainly not going to be thinking you're in a Louis Vuitton, right? So, you know, it's the execution is important. And we look at store teams with this mindset of your job is just to stick a poster up. It is absolutely not. Your job is to tell the story. And if I don't give you the story and give you the tools to do this brilliantly, guess what? They're probably not going to do it brilliantly. And therefore, my customer experience is going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. And I think it was you, Andrew. I think you actually said in one of our previous engagements that it's the art and the science. And it's it sounds like what you're talking about is the art. I mean, getting it right, knowing the brand and having it be well executed, but at the same time, makes sense. 100%. The science element, execution, process, all of that stuff, retailers have that in the bag. We know how to do that. But, you know, bringing in the art and then bringing in what the art means into the processes, into the science of it, is the hard part. And we're not used to that. It's a really new style of world for us when we get, especially at scale. We've assumed scale means 
cookie cutter efficiency and it can't. So you have to build structures and processes around how you can execute that image you have for your flagship store in every store. And it's possible and it doesn't take an army and it's not like this ridiculous investment or anything like that. It's just a shift and a nudge of the way that you work and the tools that you have for your teams that can make it just a tremendous difference. And I want to round out today with, you mentioned tools. It's so important even for my team at Rethink Retail. I mean, we're always reevaluating and looking for what is best in class. And when retailers are looking for a way to get the merchandising right, to be super digital with their approach, what characteristics should they be looking for in a partner to deliver that brand experience across all of their stores? Julia, to your point about you know characteristics, um, certainly merchandising cloud, we're, we're in that space. So I'm going to share why what we do we think is important but there's a lot of other people out there that are you know providing similar solutions and something that Andrew and I you know talk about it's the people foremost the people at the companies anytime you're going to work with someone it's that question of do they know my business are they interested in my business can they help me understand where my business can go rather than just give me the tools to fix something that's broken so i think that's really important and you know, if we are talking about solutions, digital solutions, I think what I had said earlier, which is, you know, the store teams. And, and we've had a lot of fun this year with the retire the paper planogram. It was retros, it was 70s. And, and we did a podcast with you, Tom Erskine, our CEO, and Andrew. But there was a really important message in that, which is the paper planogram. You know, this is technology that was invented in the 70s, right? If you want to call it technology and it's outdated and can it withstand you know the test of time and and we think not we think that the world of retail today the paper planogram cannot keep up with it and so having a digital solution where HQ and store teams can communicate together in real time and be able to deliver a merchandising plan on a mobile optimized tablet or phone where a store associate doesn't have to spend as much time trying to decipher what the planogram is, but being able to go through the tasks and in the process, you know, really understanding what that is requiring them to properly merchandise the shelf. And we think that is critical right now to help them, any sort of store team, do the job of what they've been asked to do in terms of getting merchandising the shelf set right the first time, every time, and in doing so, being able to deliver a consistent brand experience. So I think that is something that we think is really important in terms of when you're looking for a partner to ensure you know success. Mm-hmm. People, I love that you brought up people. It's super important in all aspects of business and tying it back to, you know, do they know my business? Are they understanding my situation? Can they help me get to where I want to go and get that vision executed? And I think that the how, the paper planogram idea, the fact that uh, all three of us know retailers who are who are still relying on paper planograms and the fact that half of the world probably can't read a map anymore, a paper map, <laughs> um, it's crazy. The how needs to be addressed. It needs to be digital. And the why, of course, is because of the speed of change and adapting to things quickly. You have to be online. It has to go fast. I love that analogy. And if I can just build on both of your responses to that, and I'm going to start with a story. I was in a store the other day who I won't name. The team were trying to set up a display of mulled wine, which in Florida is an interesting choice because it doesn't exactly get that chilly here, but still I quite like (laughs) mulled wine. So I was still interested and enthralled. There was two of them staring at this printed off planogram, trying to work out 
which of these German words made the most sense and where and like what the kind of the concept was, the idea behind the setup that they were building. And they just had no clue. They were just left with it. They were talent, this is a talented store team who I visit often and they're really great people, but they just are staring at essentially what is a terrible printed off piece of paper that's trying to articulate instructions. It's like a really bad recipe. <laughs> and you're halfway through going, what am I meant to do with these damn mushrooms? Like, I don't... You haven't told me anything. Anyway, it's it's very much like that. And the idea that we haven't moved beyond that is quite laughable, to be fair, as a retail industry. However, the partnership part is the most important for me. Who you partner with has got to align with your brand and your brand personality. True partners don't see you as a sales target. True partners sit there and go, Matt, we could actually help you. Our solution is absolutely the right one for you because I know that it will support you and your teams. And you will find that out within 10 minutes of meeting people normally, as long as you've already pre-filtered the idea, you know that the idea is right for you. And the best way to do that is follow the golden rule. Three simple questions. Does it add value to my business? I.e., Is this idea going to deliver a benefit to the business, whether it be saving of costs, growth of sales, whatever? Is there a benefit to the customer? I.e., Is it going to make it faster, easier, simpler? better store experiences, better online experiences, whatever. And third, is it aligned to the purpose of why we exist or are we following a trend for the sake of following a trend? And if you follow those three rules and then you find a partner who you know is there that can actually align with those three as well, you found yourself the right partner. Well said, Andrew. And that was a great story that you told us to really show what we're talking about here in action. And I just want to go ahead and tell all of our listeners, we will be at NRF's Retail Big Show in New York City in the coming weeks. And Ken, Andrew, where can our listeners find you if they want to say hello at the show? Sure. So we will be at Booth 3937. But I think the best way to learn about what we're doing at NRF is to go to onedoor.com forward slash NRF 2022. There will be plenty of details about the demos that we're doing, use cases, but something we're really excited about, two big idea sessions, one of which is with Andrew Smith and his Think Uncommon co-founder, Gareth Jude, and best-selling Amazon author, Ron Thurston. So a really exciting panel that will be moderated by our CEO, Tom Erskine. So coming to that panel session with three experts, it's going to be a really fantastic discussion. I love that. And Andrew, what about you? And he just mentioned you'll be at the big idea session. Super excited to hear you. Of course, love Ron as well. I think it'll be very good. And to hear from your CEO, it's it's a really solid session. We'll have this info probably on our site as well. We picked out some of our sessions that we're excited about in our NRF guide. So keep a lookout for that on our social channels coming soon. Andrew, did you have any other comments you want to share about the big show? No, I, I'm excited to be there. It's, I'll be hanging around many a booth, but please feel free to just reach out. You can find me on most social platforms as at Uncommonly Smith. Uh, it's very difficult finding a username when your name is Andrew Smith. So um, <laughs> I thought I'd go with Uncommonly Smith. So find me there, reach out to me and we'll uh, we'll catch up. I always love to chat with uh, fellow humans. It makes me better and smarter. Wonderful. Well, great to have you on the show, Andrew Smith and Ken Cooperstein. I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you Thanks so much. much. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.